Welcome to this week's edition of Oot in a Boot, the podcast within a podcast where we discuss history that we see Oot in a Boot and in action. I'm Keely McCavitt, and sitting here with me, as always, are... Robin Mullins. And Nick Bridges. <laughs> so this week's Oot in a Boot is inspired by an article that was written by Ryan Doge, who is the Digital Engagement Strategist at the Royal Ontario Museum. In this article, he explains that over the last four years, they have aggregated a quarter of a million photos that were shared by visitors. So this is as of January 2018. The ROM has been using these photos and archiving them in their systems. And in the article, he suggests that this shows a huge shift in the museum and heritage world towards using user-generated content, or UGC, as a form of advertising and demographic research. So where this all started for the Royal Ontario Museum was during their Friday Night Live programs. So if you're not familiar, Friday Night Live is hosted by the ROM after hours with DJs and special events and drinks in the museum galleries. I know there's something similar here in Ottawa. What's it called? It's called Nature Nocturne, and Mm -hmm. it's once a month at the Canadian Museum of Nature, usually from like the spring to end of fall. I think their last one each year is generally Halloween. So events like these are very popular at larger museums, and at the ROM, with their Friday Night Live, this is where they first started to experiment with tweeting and live tweeting on a screen at one of these events. So it was kind of poo-pooed, that's what they say, that people weren't, like, people within the museum were kind of frustrated that this was happening, they thought it was a little bit tacky, but what they encouraged visitors to do was to take photos of themselves and their friends having fun, and then um, tweet it at the ROM to this special list, and then they would be projected up on the screen. And what they found was that was incredibly successful. And over the night, more people just kept sending in photos, and people would wait by the screen for their photos to come up, and they realized that this was a different way of doing things and that it was going to be very successful for them. So this was a huge hit. And between 2012 and 2013, the ROM found that They wanted to start engaging more with people with social media. So they started up programs where you could go on guided tours to kind of be shown where you can take the best picture. And there were scavenger hunts. And they actually found, although the tweeting photos at things like Friday Night Live were really successful, doing the scavenger hunts and anything that was led by the museum was very unsuccessful. So engagement actually went down and people weren't interested. What this has kind of brought up is that when people are using social media, they want to direct the experience and they don't want to be told how to engage in a space. And you can kind of see how that would be problematic, you know, when you're in a museum or a heritage site, especially if there are things like artifacts or artworks that you're not supposed to touch because of safety concerns, or you can't stand too close to the wire and things, you know, there's something inherently about these sites where traditionally your experience is directed. And that is starting to change with a lot of different programs. But now when people are engaging in the spaces, they don't want those rules anymore. So because of this, the ROM has taken a lot of steps to involve things for better or for worse, like selfie stops or ultimate selfie spots in exhibitions. So I went to um, the Pompeii exhibition a couple years ago and they had their own hashtag called Rompay, hashtag Rompay. And then they had a spot with little feet on the floor and you could stand there and it was like, get a picture with this or dress up like a gladiator like this. And I remember when I went, I was like, oh man, like not for that at all. But people loved it and people really engaged with it. And all of the things that are tagged with Rompe, they show up 
as tagging works kind of in one location. And the museum is then able to extract the information using those hashtags. So are people engaging with the museum or are they just engaging with themselves? They're engaging with themselves and their friends, which is why um, Ryan Doge says that this is really effective because it's almost like word of mouth advertising. And that's the words and the terms that are used within the article. Hmm. And like once again, that's a knee-jerk thing for me where I'm like, like there's always going to be, I think, conflicting feelings between business and heritage when ideals are kind of involved but it's true when you think about it you know you see a picture of your friend at an exhibition having a great time you're more likely to be like that looks really cool because you know them other than just seeing promotional photographs but how much are the people who are taking the photographs actually engaging with what's around them versus just being like well this is a cool place to take a picture and now I'm done and I can leave exactly see and that's where I guess like the business and the ideal side kind of come into on the other hand if a person goes to a museum who are we to say how they should or should not engage mm-hmm. with the exhibit too, right? So I know I'm, I'm playing my own devil's advocate, <laughs> but just thinking through it. Yeah, that is also true because when you go, you don't want to be told kind of how to experience history. For example, if it's a museum in the context of history, you kind of want to experience it your own way. So it's this interesting kind of like balancing act. That's what I found anyway when I was reading it. This celebration of photography and kind of acceleration of use of photography in the Royal Ontario Museum is what Doge um, credits the 10% increase in attendance since the year 2012. So it's been incredibly useful, but when I continued to read, I found out what they do with the photos, and they don't do anything sinister with it, but there's this program that they put it into that really made me start thinking about the way that we use our photos and how they're used by other people when you post them online. Photos that are tagged with ROM hashtags or um, the location stamps or markers are aggregated and they're hosted by a service provider called CrowdRift, which is then translated and cataloged by Google Cloud Vision API, which is a program that automatically classifies and visually reads. I'm doing finger quotes here. It's a program. It doesn't have eyes, but it reads the keywords and tags on the files, and it also looks at the images itself to identify things. So this program can look at a photo and even if maybe in the tag it doesn't say there's a bear in this photo, you can put it through the system and it'll go there's a bear in this photo. So then it automatically attaches a tag and it moves it into a folder under like animals or bears. So this system is automatically sorting everything into these categories and using algorithms automatically with no one even ever having to look at them, which I guess is an amazing piece of technology, but also freaks me out. It's a, it's a hallmark of the world that George Orwell was trying to warn us about. Indeed. <laughs> so everything you post, um, and I will say before I go any further, is I tried it. You can try this Google system online. Just type it into Google, the page will pop up, and it gives you kind of like a see, see what it can do. So I put in a photograph from the movie Alien. And it was like Sigourney Weaver and Alien. And it also, like, you can go through all these different tabs once you've uploaded the photo. And it'll tell you kind of, like, objective things and subjective things. So it'll say, the percentage of gray in this photo is whatever. And it'll give you a color scale. But it'll also say things like content. And then there's a tab and it'll be like, for family, racy. Like, one of them is like racy and stuff like that. 
And I was like totally surprised by this. I don't know if other people are, this is just normal. Like, yes, of course this technology exists, Keely, but I was like, what? And we put in a picture of one of our friends who was wearing a t-shirt with words on it and it read the shirt. So then you can click on text and it was like, this is what the shirt says. So as much as that is a tool that is very, I guess, exciting in its capabilities, it, like Nick said, it's kind of like, I don't know, spooky future. Yeah, I'd say that that kind of technology is legitimately straight out of 1984. It's something that's cataloging every piece of information that's being put into it. And I think we have to think about how if this technology is being used by just the ROM, that's not the only group it's being used by. So if we're trying to think about our privacy rights in the real world, you could be picked up in a photo that you didn't even take if you happen to be in the background of. It's it's a technology like this that really isn't good long-term for democracy. Mm-hmm. But then when you think about it from, like, say, an archivist perspective, if LAC or some other archive had access to this type of technology or a museum or whatever, being able to quickly and effectively archive all of their material without having to have somebody sit there and physically look at each photograph and say, oh, yeah, no, and, and, and catch every single little detail that's within it is really excellent. Like the, That would be very beneficial. LAC in particular has so much in their collection and so many photographs and images and video and all these other kinds of material that are really difficult to catalog and to catalog perfectly. So having a tool like this would make it a lot more accessible actually to researchers to be able to find what they're looking for. And I could see how it would be really beneficial if it's used in that way. So I think it's, it does have its pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages as anything in technology does. But I'd be interested to see if this will be put to use in archives and in museums in this way. It almost seems like a new kind of archiving where maybe if this kind of system is widely proliferated um, and it is that instantaneous that things will automatically just, you know, there's that sense of an automatic continuous record where there's a tangible sort of trace of things that are happening, people doing things that is being stored somewhere. And that's, I think that's very human impulse, but it's also an interesting case where there's now there's a version maybe of you, maybe not in this specific scenario. I'm kind of like talking in generalities right now, but maybe there will end up being this specific version of you beyond, you know, like your own personal Facebook account where it has its own kind of weird life. Like it's not you, but it is you because other people look at you that way or they go through all your things and they feel that they come to know you. Now, maybe everything that you'll do will be floating around somewhere. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Well, that already exists, but that's a topic for another time because Facebook has done that. Well, another thought I have about this, if you think about um, that sort of the the pro for it uh, from an archival sense, even archival collections, as we've discussed on this podcast, have legal rights to privacy. You can't open certain documents for X number of years. So if this technology has to be a part of society and like people aren't up in arms about it, then there needs to be some sort of legal recourse if that's being used maliciously or, I think, to identify people in the present. Well, if, like, stepping outside of this specific Google program, if you think about the things that you use daily, like Instagram or Facebook, and they're owned by the same company now, um, in their privacy settings, it says that you own the copyright to every image that you post, things that you say. So if it comes down to somebody taking your photo and saying, I took this photo and making money off of it, you have some sort of legal recourse. But you're also agreeing to give them sub-licensing rights. 
So although if it came down to a case of someone saying, I painted this picture, if you post a picture of your work, you say, no, I did, you getting some sort of legal compensation. If it's a picture of you at the beach, they have the right to use that in their promotional materials or share it with other, you know, companies doing research, demographic data. You've given up that right to privacy and it's a part of most major social media networks. So it's, you are protected, but you're not. It's like, if other people try to use it, it's not good. But if we use it and we proliferate it how we choose, that's okay. And that's just part of the system. And I think a lot of people, that's, I think there are a lot of people who are comfortable with that. Maybe they feel like, I don't have anything worth, like, that's, you know, like, why do I care if people know? But I don't know. That's that's the same argument, though, as like, oh, well, I'm not breaking the law. So what? Right. Like, what was not going to hurt me? So it becomes very individualized. Mm -hmm. So using this technology, the Royal Ontario Museum has been able to, without visually looking at every single image, determine that most of the photographs that are taken within the museum are of artworks as opposed to artifacts. They've also identified the fact that the most common human subject within their photos are women. So that they know that that's a major demographic, or at least the largest demographic that participates in um, social photography on the site. And they also have been able to determine that the major architectural draw, which maybe seems obvious if you've seen the Royal Ontario Museum, is the front crystal that was built on the site, which was very controversial at the time. Um, And it is still a very popular site for photographs. So as we've kind of discussed, this is a very useful tool. It's also kind of a brave new world of technology and what um, our social photography is going to do for us and others and maybe people will never meet in the future. What about you, Selfie Pop and listener? Do you actively tag and participate when you go into museums or historical sites? Do you love or hate the selfie stick? To tell us your answers, or if you have noticed something interesting, Utnaboot, that you would like to share, send us an email at podcast at nohistory.ca or reach out on social media at Notice History. Your topic could be featured on our next episode. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe to Notice History wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Utnaboot, and we will see you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Notice History.